Hello folks and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. For this episode, I was joined by Russ Ellis. Now, Russ is one of the most talented cycling photographers around, and he runs the Cycling Images Instagram account, so please check it out if you don't believe me and haven't seen that one. Now, he lives in Australia, uh, but he's originally from Mansfield, so we have a quiz on Mansfield called the Mansfield Quiz. We chat about arachnids, octopuses, and exploding pigeons, but fear not, little to no animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. So, want to sit yourself in a comfy chair, fire up the Cycling Images Instagram account, and use that as a visual accompaniment, and enjoy the pod. Hello, and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. Ross Ellis is probably my favourite photographer. There's a real artistry to his work, which is a mix of emotion and action, whilst often finding a unique angle on the subject as well. Now, some of his clients include Team Ineos and Specialize, so you know he's doing something right when he's regularly employed by some of the biggest names in cycling. In our chat, we talk about his career path, combining his two favourite hobbies of cycling and photography and making that ultimately his full-time job. We also hear what it's like to race the peloton around on race day, scrambling to get ahead of the bunch to snap another photo. And there are loads of interesting and nonsensical tangents along the way. So check it out. Ross Ellis, um, great to speak to you, mate. It's been quite a long time, isn't it, for various reasons, uh, many of which, um, well... Of course, we, we kind of know the main one. But uh, how the devil are you, mate? And where in the world are you right now? Hey, Matt. Yeah, um, it's been a while since I've seen you face to face for sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm currently over in Western Australia, um, pretty much in Perth most of the time. But I've literally today driven down to the Margaret River region, um, which is kind of down the southwest. We've come down for a long weekend, really, just to we kind of like it down here. It's kind of our happy place. There's a um, a lot of greenery and there's a bit of surf. I've recently tried to take up surfing. Um, it's going average. Um, right. But Liz, my partner as well. She, Liz, my partner as well. She loves surfing as well. So we've literally got down here about an hour and a half ago, gone to our favorite surf spot. And then Liz was like, oh, can, can I get a quick surfing? So she's just been out for 45 minutes and then we've just driven to a lovely little Airbnb. So I'm just currently sat outside the Airbnb because it's warmer outside than inside, strangely. Um, and I'm just right, sat looking okay. into the bush into the bush at the moment. So I'm kind of hoping that some kangaroos might come out as it starts getting darker because they tend to hang around down here. So it's good. It's, it's, it's a, it, it, that's great, mate. It's, it does... Um, the fact that you're in Australia... And I know... Yeah. I always, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I've got this childlike wonder about anything, really. Um, like the, the mm. combustion engine, how the cars move, like aeroplanes. Um, but... But also the fact that I'm sat in East Molsey, pouring down the rain outside, yeah. and you're in Australia yeah. looking into the bush, and you've just been surfing. It's just, and then we're chatting. Yeah. I just think it's amazing. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's fully crazy. Uh, it's fully crazy. But yeah. and it's I'm the just, world we live in, mate. No, I know. I know. Crazy times. And I, like I say, I've only been kind of over here for a year or so now, so it's still... It still feels crazy to me as well, to be honest. So I was surprised. Have you yeah. have you been over and done the tour down under at all? Have you been over this way? What a lovely, what a lovely segue into uh, my previous Palmares, mate. Yeah, uh, I did. Uh, <laughs> back, 
<laughs> I don't get the, the chance, Russ. Very kind of you, honestly, your listeners. I haven't, I haven't teed this question up. Uh, yeah, I, I did the tour down under in two thousand and ended up, mate. Oh, perfect. Eighth yeah. overall. Eighth overall. Oh, look at that. Bang. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. What am I? It's my, um, definitely is. Yeah, it's my favourite race by far to work on. Anyway, um, it is good fun, isn't it? It's such a lovely. I mean, yeah. it's. It was a bit more relaxed like 20 years ago, although it was still competitive. But now it's still competitive, but there's also like a holiday vibe feel about it, although the racing's taken seriously. There's a really lovely atmosphere about the TDU, isn't there? Ah, oh, perfect. Yeah, I get that impression from all the riders. Um, obviously, I know a few of the riders from working with the teams, and they all kind of love coming down here and racing. Like you say, it's definitely it's definitely more competitive than it used to be by all accounts. And the racing the racing's pretty good, but yeah, I think... The fact that everyone's based out of the Hilton, the press, the riders, and then you've got the little village opposite with all the other things going on every night. The whole the whole vibe of it is just yeah, and it's obviously it's summer down here in January, so it's just yeah, it's brilliant. I met a couple of years ago. I I, I was working for a tour company at the Tour Down Under, um, mm. and it's the first time we went out for a ride. Obviously, like we did every day, and I, I saw. A, a, ko- a koala for the first time and walking across oh, the yeah. road a motorist had stopped picked up the koala put it on a tree um and they saw <laughs> their hazard lights on so i rode up and yeah. i didn't get too close because you can catch things off koalas you've got to be a bit careful but what a lovely creature uh, and i had a little oh, chat with it on, on 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 instagram have you met a koala bear <laughs> um <laughs> yeah i um it took me a few years though it took me a few years the first yeah, two times yeah. i came i didn't see, i didn't see them and i thought it was a yeah. myth that they were here yeah and then I went for a ride last, well, it was the year before, wasn't it? Because it was cancelled this year. So the year before, I think I went for a ride and then someone was pointing up at a tree. So I literally just braked and started looking up and yeah, there was there was one in the tree. They're amazing. Yeah. But yeah, they got quite sharp yeah, claws can... as well. So pretty dangerous as well. If you, um, yeah, because I, I believe, hungry. yeah, I believe you can, you can get chlamydia from them, can't you, or something? Oh, apparently it's rife in them, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how yeah. you catch chlamydia from a koala. I wouldn't want to even home. venture near that subject, Ross, on a, on a family <laughs> no, podcast. No. <laughs> to be honest no, with you. No. But uh, needless to say, we all love koala bears. Uh, but keep my They're arms amazing. length, and and yeah, that yeah they are. Exactly. So, while we're on the subject of wildlife uh, forward slash Australia, yes. um, yeah, have you seen any really big insects that have freaked you out, mate? Like any spiders or anything? Because I mean, I love Australia, yeah. uh, but I'm uh, a little bit anxious about the size of their arachnids. <laughs> Yeah, mate, the spiders. I'm normally okay with spiders as long as I know where they are and they don't like catch me by surprise. Yes. But I was literally, I literally walked into the kitchen. It's quite funny, actually, literally two weeks ago. And I yeah. went to the sink and I was just pouring myself water and Liz just screamed behind me and like scared me to death. And I was like, oh, what's wrong? And I looked up and there was a huntsman spider that must have been like five <gasps> inch diameter not- just on the wall above me. Oh, <laughs> and I was just like, that it was Liz screaming that actually made me jump more than the spider because apparently huntsmen can't they can't actually bite you they're just big um so yeah i looked up and it was about yeah five inch across and it was like literally just above my head on the roof and i was like oh back away back away oh um, my god but i had to go and find like a really big big jar and then catch it in the jar and take it outside so yeah so one oh, step up mate, from the ones I'm in not the UK being... for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, Ross. I'm not that. This isn't a word of a lie, mate. You telling me that story, all my, all my, back, the hairs have gone up on the back of my neck, and I feel all like sweaty. We might have to abort the podcast. So I can have a lie down. I really do have that primal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I've got nothing against spiders. I mean, I mean, my favourite superhero no. is Spider Man. You know. So, but yeah. Um, yeah. 
the huntsmen because they're, they they're, they're like a gr- just, they're like a gray like a gray like a palish like a, color which which is even like a freakier gray yeah because yeah. it kind of especially oh, if you've God. got magnolia wallpaper <laughs> oh man. yeah you kind of get used to it i mean we don't see too many really seen a few snakes yeah nearly ran over a snake on a ride me and liz were out doing a ride and i was descending down this little climb and then it literally like a tiger snake kind of came out in front of me and i literally just missed a it. tiger mm. snake talk to me about a tiger yeah. snake Oh, um, I don't know too much about them, but I think there's a tiger snake and then there's a great brown out here. They're like the two main ones that will give you a really bad day if they bite you. Um, right. But yeah, they kind of they kind of hang around. You don't see them very often, to be honest. And I think they would literally just crawl over your feet. They'd have to be in a really bad mood to actually bite you. Uh, right, but if okay. they did, you'd, you'd, you'd have a bad day, I think. Yeah. I just like the names of the stuff, like Huntsman Spider, Tiger Snake, yeah. the Big Brown. Yeah. It's all scary. Just the, the names just yeah, make, make fill you with fear. <laughs> they don't call them the, 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 the fluffy. They don't call them the fluffy or anything like that, do they? Or the, no, no, the, oh, the, no. The, yeah, the kind of names. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> this is almost turning into an Australian wildlife podcast, which yeah. is fine. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you yeah. know, the, uh, the, the un- unplugged is a little bit tangential. But right, first off, yeah, like, yeah, what yeah. actually led what, what led you to to be in australia um so as mentioned earlier in the pod um liz my wife really um strangely we are kind of well she's from yorkshire and i lived in yorkshire for the last kind of 23 24 years um Mm. but liz used to do a little bit of racing she used to race for i should really know this um velo i'm not sure what the team is now velo something in the u yeah in the uk I, i can't remember actually um, okay. But yeah, she used to race. So she's done. Um, she did the Tour de Yorkshire. Yes. So she raced the women's. She raced the women's Tour de Yorkshire, and she did the Lincoln wow. Grand Prix and a few of few of those races. And then I think I went along to the. I think it was the Doncaster, a Doncaster evening crit, and she was racing, and I just went along and this was like three or four years ago, and took a few pictures of the race and then posted them on social media, and then someone tagged her in, and then she contacted me and asked if she could reuse the picture, so I let her, um, and then didn't see her for a while um and then bumped into a, a few races um over the years afterwards and then in the yeah. meantime she moved over to australia and she was living out here um yeah and then i bumped into her i was at the ilkley crit in yorkshire and she'd come back to see her parents in the uk and i bumped into her again got talking and then literally a couple of years ago came out to the tour down under and she sent me a message so oh, i live in australia now i'm at the tour down under if you want to catch up and have a drink and one thing led to another and then now we're married and I've moved over here. <laughs> so strange. So, both, both, from, you, both from Yorkshire and both living in Australia. So Flipping it. So Ross, I, only, I, I kind of knew a little bit because we chatted a little bit about that story. I just wanted to kind of fill in yeah. the gaps, but I didn't. So are you a permanent resident now in Australia? Yes, I have. Well, wow. I've got, um, it's classed, well, it's classed as a partner visa at the moment, but basically mm. they come back next year and make sure that we're still married. And if we are still married next year, then it gets turned into a permanent resident. Yeah. Pretty cool. Wow. Ross the Aussie yeah, flipping so, it. That's, that's very, very cool. So let's, let's yeah, rewind good. a little bit because obviously you're, yeah. you're, a, uh, you're a, a cycling photographer. You photograph other things and we, we yep. come to, came to know each other. I don't even know when we met for the first time, but it was several years ago now. But I think it was generally just social media forward slash bumping into each other on big bike races really and then we kind of became, yeah, got think... chatting and stuff that's that's kind of how it there wasn't one certain time we met because I, I can't remember when that was but we've always been in the same kind of circles haven't we yeah correct yeah and i think the main time i spoke to you, i think when you came along to the i think it was the team sky december camp and did a few bits and bobs 
uh, when ah, I was taking the portraits right. of the riders and then you were kind of going through, kind of doing a little series where you were going through what the riders would go through at December camp. That was kind of the exactly. most time I spent with you in the same room, I think. Yeah. That's right. You commented yeah, on my, was, hair, um, my hair at the time. I had a bit of a weird quiff and there was a hair yeah, on point sorry, joke I, I, in there from, from you at some point. <laughs> You see my, you see my hair now, mate. Jesus, it's very, very different. I but, actually uh, have no, seen yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I do, I do remember that. That yeah, it was when I was with, with GCN. We came up and, and basically went through, um, and yeah, and yeah. You, you were very kind, and um, you allowed me to do the kind of zipping up the jersey thing, and, and you put. Oh you yeah, took some, took some pictures of you and then sent them to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were That's looking, right. yeah. looking super, super pro, super pro. That's very kind of you, mate. Very kind of you. That's always that's <laughs> a little bit of flattery. But but first off, then, Russ, what, what why? Why cycling photography? How did that? I mean, you're one of the most preeminent cycling photographers out there. This year, of course, you can't travel quite as much, but you've worked with nope. likes of Specialized. You've worked with Ineos Team Sky previously, um, and various other significant kind of uh, roles within cycling. But why cycling photography, Russ? Um, well, it started with just general photography, really. Um, I've always had an interest in photography. Kind of did it from being a kid really i can remember my dad bought me a film camera way back in the day that i used to go and do bits and bobs with and then i kind of always had cameras or little point and shoot cameras and things like that and then um i think i just kind of got more into it as i got a bit older bought myself a dslr kind of just started watching youtube videos really um trying to yeah. teach myself how to use it how to use it and do stuff like that and kind of what happened was kind of watching the youtube videos they were mainly centered around people in new york or um, over east or in really cool cities and they were kind of going out doing kind of street photography kind of like getting pictures of really interesting looking people in the street doing portraits and all that kind of stuff so I was kind of really interested in doing that kind of photography I was more interested in people um, and things like that rather than doing anything kind of like landscape or still life or anything I kind of wanted that that kind of human interaction and kind of stuff like that so yeah. I tried to go out in Leeds and do that kind of stuff and it's not quite the same as I think in New York and big cities, people are a little bit less concerned with what you're doing. But if you kind of walk around Leeds City Centre with a camera and take pictures of people, they're kind of like, why are you taking my picture? And it just, you kind of, risk, kind of got to the point where, yeah, you risk getting a, getting a filled bit in. of a, you um, risk getting filled bit in, a mate, hiding, really, don't you? <laughs> bit of a hiding, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that kind of like, that kind of quickly um, came to an end. And I kind of put my cameras away, kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe I'll do it again at some point. Um, so I kind of didn't use them for a while. And then I was, I've always done a bit of cycling. I did a bit of mountain biking years ago. And then one of my friends got me into road riding. So I'd kind of been doing a little bit of road riding, but, but not too much. And then it's probably about six or seven years ago. Um, I just started taking road riding a little bit more seriously, kind of joined a few clubs in Leeds, started going on like the Leeds chain gang. Um, so I knew a few of the, few of the people on there, um, and then started doing a few local crits only like kind of cat four, cat three crits and things like that. So yeah. Kind of did that for a year, really enjoyed it. Um, and then the second year of doing that, I was racing, again, just another Cat 3 crit, managed to crash and break my collarbone. Um, so I used to then just go along and watch the races for a few months. And as, as I was going to the races, I was kind of watching. But then I was also thinking, hang on a minute, there's, there's quite a lot of stuff going on here. There's the people watching, there's the emotion, and people, when they finish the race, they kind of sat on the floor looking exhausted. And I was thinking, this is kind of covers some of the stuff I wanted to do in street photography, but it's these people aren't probably going to be too bothered if I'm walking around with the camera because it's kind of a sporting sporting yeah. scene as well. So I just got my camera out and just started going along to local bike races, basically, literally just local local crits wow. and local city centre races and things like that and just taking pictures. And 
I basically just started putting them on Facebook. Um, yeah. But at the time, there was a few photographers who kind of used to go to those races, sit on a corner and just take a picture of every single rider that came around the corner, put them on a website, put all the numbers up and just yeah. say, right, 10, £10 for a picture of yourself. And I was like, yeah. well, that's not really what I want to do. I, so I used to go along, take a picture of the welcome sign, take a picture of the sign on, the people getting the numbers, then a few from the race, a few people. And then I'd post yeah. a little gallery of, say, 30 pictures that were kind of some race, but basically try and tell a story for the day and kind of, and I got a lot of people sending me messages saying, oh, I've not done the National Hill Climb for 20 years, but that took me right back looking at your pictures. And I thought, oh, okay, so there's obviously Brilliant. something here that people resonate with. Um, yeah. So I kind of just, that was kind of my style. Then I kind of used to go along to races, put stuff on Instagram and put my kind of pictures out. And that's kind of how it got. And then obviously it just grew from there, really. Um, so it's a and while I was I mean, doing I know, that, I was, yeah. 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 So, sorry, yeah. So what were you, that was obviously... You were like an enthusiast, and like an enthusiast, really. Just yeah. it would, and it yeah, seemed to just happen. Yeah. We use the, I think the word organic is a little bit kind of overused these days. But when you look back at how yeah. you started, it was really you at a race. Yes, sensed, yep. saw, sensed an opportunity, and thought, let's just do this. I, I, I love the way that that just gradually kind of just gained momentum for you. That's a lovely way of, without actually setting your stall out and saying this is what I want to do. The fact it kind of happened because you saw you just saw these opportunities and moments that would be lovely to capture. I kind of like the way that it's kind of grown for you. So, so what were you doing at that point professionally then? Yeah. So I was working in it. I was working for a company in York um, that did software development. So they basically developed, it was like in the early days of um, like sky player and Foxtel and all the big TV companies that were kind of moving everything over to having mobile phones and iPads and Playstations yeah. and they were putting video plat platforms on. So I was basically a QA manager, so I was involved with testing to make sure all of these systems basically worked before they were delivered to a customer. So I was doing that for like 15 years really and then just doing the photography at the weekends, like a classic weekend warrior kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I'd put my, obviously I'd built up, I decided to open an Instagram that was solely for cycling. So I did that, called it Cycling Images, yeah. it was <laughs> available at the time, started putting just cycling pictures on there. Um, and then I got a call from, well, actually, I knew a friend who knew someone at Cycling Weekly, and he, he really liked my pictures. And he said, oh, I know the guys at Cycling Weekly. If you want to send me a portfolio over, I'll send it down to those guys. Mm. So, yeah, so I put, put something together, sent it down to those and those guys down there, and they really liked the work, and they commissioned me just to do a few kind of local shoots. They used to do like a ride with series where they'd go out with local clubs, and then somebody yeah. would do a write-up in Cycling Weekly. So I'd go along and take some pictures and, and kind of do that. So... I was kind of making a little bit of money from doing that, but nothing really substantial as such. So I was, I, it was difficult yeah. to kind of leave the main job for something that was so um, so sporadic, really. Yeah. But then and, I was just in, yep. Yeah. No, sorry, mate. <laughs> it's that little yeah, it's okay, awkward okay. delay, isn't it? Sorry, mate. No, carry on. Yeah. I'll let you roll on, mate. Apologies. <laughs> oh, no, no problem. Um, yeah, so then... I, I was just in the office one day working and got a call from um, someone you may know, Gareth Winter. Yeah, I think you probably know Gareth. Yes, I know. He just lives up the road now, Gareth, yeah. Oh, does it? Yeah. So he, he yeah. works for Sky. I think he was still working for Sky at the time um, in the creative department. And he basically had been tasked with, I think it was when, can you remember when Team Sky had the um, Sky Love Cycling campaign with the Blue Heart? Yes. They had the Blue Heart on the sleeves and I can't remember what year it was. It might have been 2015 or... Maybe it's around that time. It wasn't right. At the, it wasn't yeah. right at the start, and it wasn't super recent. So that sounds about right. No, I think 
I think it was. I think it was actually celebrating ten years of sponsoring Team Sky. So that would have. Probably, that can't be right though because they started in two thousand nine, no, didn't right. they? So, yeah. Yeah. It was definitely. Ce- yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was definitely celebrating some milestone with Team Sky. Anyway. I guess it's not that relevant. But um, yeah, Gareth had been tasked with just going on Instagram and finding someone slightly different to shoot the campaign for them. So he literally just was looking through Instagram, came across my work, liked um, what I was doing, and then just phoned me out of the blue um, when I was in the day job, just saying, oh, it's Gareth from Sky. Um, We really like your work. Would you like to come and do some stuff for us? So I was like, oh, yeah, that'll be good. He says, right, well, we'll pick you up next Monday and fly you out to the Team Sky Villa in Monaco, and we'll we'll be shooting with um, Froomey and G. So it was like, okay, this is a bit wow, of, this from, is a bit of a step this is a bit of a step up from doing great. the cycling weekly to being on a plane out to Monaco and getting introduced to G and and Froomey and I think Luke Luke was there as well um, in the villa and just doing like kind of behind the scenes photography. That's a really so yeah, I mean, then, that, that's, that's quite a seismic step, isn't it? From as you say, yeah, kind of, like yeah. relatively humble beginnings. That's not taking anything away from shooting at the Oakley Crit or working for Cycling Weekly, but that's yeah. to have yeah, that, that's a, that's yeah. a kind of big, big step up. So, were you quite nervous when you got given that gig? I mean, I, I would imagine you were like like super, super yeah. excited. But did you were you like yeah. think, okay, I really need to up my game now? How did that affect you, kind of creatively? Did you have something in mind or? As soon as they said yeah, it, or did no. you just think, I'm just going to see how this goes? Yeah, I think, I don't think, I don't think I was actually. I think, I think because it was behind the scenes, it's kind of good when you're doing behind the scenes because you know that they're like, oh yeah, we're doing the video. There's going to be a director of photography there. It's mainly, they're going to be mainly filming. All you need to do is kind of hang around in the background and get pictures behind the scenes. So automatically there's not as much pressure because you think, okay, well, what I'm doing is going to be used for whatever it's used for. It's not going to be the main focus for everyone being there. So you kind yeah. of, I kind of tell myself, that, okay, I'll just go along and do the best I can and, and don't worry about it. So it actually went really well, actually. Like I kind of sat back while they were talking and doing the interview and filming, just snapping away and, and taking the pictures. And yeah, it was good. And then I literally got back to my desk like the following the following week in the office and sat down and I was like, oh, okay, well, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and it was kind of like, <laughs> that was the nail in the coffin for the day job. But it's like, you go over there and have a week doing that. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to have to just, hand my notice and then jump two feet into this and see how it goes and that's kind of how it went really wow so, so that basically you did that week and and that yep. was what made, what made your mind up to kind of change change course in yeah. your career and, and ultimately your life mate yeah pretty much and i spoke to my parents and friends and like my dad was saying look it's best to do it and it go wrong and kind of then actually don't do it and regret not doing it you're, you're better off just doing yeah. it and if it goes wrong you can always go back to the day job but if you if you don't do this kind of thing now then you'll never do it. So I just said, yeah, do you know what? Let's, life's too short. Let's just give it a go. So, so what, what happened next then? So you got that, did, was it, did you <laughs> yeah, kind so, of keep in contact with Sky or did you, because obviously I'd imagine you didn't have a load of other gigs lined up at that point. You had to be then start to be a bit proactive, did you? Yeah, that was, that was kind of it. Like luckily I was on like a three month notice at my, at my work. So I was like, okay, I've got three months to, to, to get on this. So it was kind of hand the notice yeah. and then just hustle, hustle. And then yeah. it's surprising when you start then reaching out, reaching out for jobs and actually putting yourself out there. Because before I was kind of, obviously you're working Monday to Friday, so you don't have as much time and you have to say no to jobs and things like that. Whereas when you know you're going to be free and you can say yes to every job or you can just go, it kind of just, when people know you're around and know you're available, it just leads, one thing leads to another. And it tends, like you say, again, organically just kind of grows and grows. Um, and then I think one of the, one of the key things was, so on that shoot in Monaco with, with the guys, I took quite a few pictures of Chris 
Um, and he was yeah. like smiling away, really happy and things. And then I, I can remember getting a message from um, Michelle, Chris's wife, yeah. just saying, oh, um, we've got some of the pictures. Well, we saw some of the pictures you took on the on the shoot for Sky. Um, so obviously this is where it gets confusing. So obviously I was working for Sky, the broadcaster at this point, not Team Sky per se. Yes, so of course. Yeah. She she said, um, oh, we saw the pictures you took for Sky. We really, I really like them. Not very many people get Chris smiling in that way. Um, can we buy some pictures? So obviously I was like, no, you, do, you don't need to buy the pictures. I'll, you can have the pictures, not a problem. I'll, um, yeah. I'll, send you the pic- I'll send you the pictures over. Which is normally quite an interesting thing because especially in, in the creative world, like a lot of people frown at people doing work for free. Um, yeah. But I've, all, I've always thought of it as the way that, well, like what, what would I say really? Oh, 100 euros. But I mean, 100 euros to me is not really going to change anything. And 100 euros to them just makes the whole process complicated and awkward and it's just... It's just not yeah. really worth it. So I think, do you know what? I'll just give them the pictures. Everything's everything's fine. You can have the pictures, not a problem whatsoever. I've already been paid to be there, so you can have the pictures. Um, so she was really grateful for that, handed the pictures over. And then I think it was literally, it was probably about two or three months later, I got a call from Team Sky saying, oh, we really um, like the work you did with Sky the Broadcaster. We'd like you to work with us next year, if possible. Do you want to come in for a meeting? So... That was kind of the first time I went in, sat down with the management at Sky um, and spoke to Fran and had a yeah. nice chat with Fran. Um, and the subject of Chris and Michelle and things came up and what have you. And I was like, oh, yeah, I spoke to, <clears throat> excuse me, I spoke to Michelle actually a few a few months ago and gave her some pictures and what have you. And she was like, oh, yeah, well, actually, it was Michelle that gave me a call and suggested that I should call you. <laughs> so wow. it was kind of like do something like that that some some creatives would have not been prepared to give something away for free but obviously in this instance it kind of it, it obviously was beneficial to me to do that it's, it's and it, wasn't, a, it wasn't a premeditated yeah. thing for me it wasn't it wasn't cynical it was just something i did because i felt it was right at the time and obviously yeah. that then came back to get me in to team sky and then obviously from then everything's grown and my career has kind of blossomed i guess from there so it's kind of picking and choosing the right time to to put your work out there i guess yeah, I mean, it's clearly a very, very wise move when you look back. And and, and I know, and I've we've, I've worked with a lot of different photographers over the years for various projects with various various companies, organisations, teams, etc. And um, the kind of subject of that sort of thing does often come up about you know sometimes photographers undercutting each other and, and things like that. But yeah. um, in the first instance, you know, if somebody yeah. likes it and it like, I think. Clearly, it was, it was definitely the best course of action. Then it's not something you do with yeah. everybody, is it? Every, you know, otherwise no. you wouldn't have a business. But occasionally, there <clears throat> no. an opportunity says it's like, okay, I think this is going to help everybody here, uh, and, yeah. and what's the well, worst think- can happen? I'm, you know, they're going to get a picture, and um, yeah. you know, I'll see them again yeah. in the future. It's, uh, but um, it's yeah. it's a really really interesting one, mate. Yeah, and I think it's one of those where, like in that instance, I'd already taken the pictures, I'd already been paid, and it was easy to just give someone the pictures, they like the pictures, there you go. It's not worth the hassle of asking for a 50 euros or 100 euros for a picture. I mean, how do you even price that? But if they'd have come back to me two weeks later and said, oh, can you do a shoot with Chris? Then obviously at that point, I would it's have then charged yeah. them a normal daily rate. That's that, that, that is then a different situation. And yes, you should always charge for your work. You should never undervalue your work and you should charge the right amount of money um, for myself and for all the other photographers, like you say, to keep that parity for everyone. Um, but every now and again, just a little bit of give and take is is beneficial to everyone i guess mm. i mean okay slightly different tact but it's a it's a big it's a chunky question um and i'm just actually while you're talking i'm actually scrolling through 
um, your, your cycling images account. And, and I know you've got yeah. a cheeky little surf account now, haven't you? Now you're a pretty much an Aussie, <laughs> half Aussie. Yeah, yeah, I, I stumbled yeah. across it. I didn't realize. I thought, Ross has got a surfing account as well. Um, <laughs> so if you, if you like surfing, head yeah. over there. Uh, but yeah, cycling, yeah. <laughs> Im- cyc- at cycling images is your, is your kind of main one, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm, yeah, I'm looking yeah. through these array of pictures. Um, and they're, 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 they are flipping brilliant, lovely memories, but all really kind of different stylistically, tonally. But what, what mm. to you, again, a, a big question for, for a photographer who probably taken you know, thousands and thousands of photographs in your, mm. your relatively short career so far, but what makes, Russ, a great photo? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, big question. <laughs> good question. Yeah. Um, I guess, I don't know, I guess it... For me, it has to kind of be a bit of, I guess, three things really. Um, yeah. The race, like the race it's at, the rider in the shot, and the significance of what's happening at that point, and then obviously the um, kind of the light and the scenery and everything that goes with it. So I guess if you get a shot of, I don't know, someone going on to win, like I got a shot last year of Teo and... So I got a shot last year of Teo and Rowan Dennis when they were nearly at the top of the Stelvio with Jai. And Jai was um, <laughs> Jai was so cold when he was putting his, when his jacket on, most people probably remember, and almost crashed into the wall. Um, yeah, I was commentating so all kind of, the time, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah so, so I was kind of stood one level up from the hairpin, so I was looking down, so I've got a shot of him um, kind of veering off into the wall. So you've kind of got the guy that's going on to win the Giro and then a spectacular views over over the Stelvio with the snow and you can see all the way down the climb. Then you've got three main protagonists in the race in there and the light. So I guess anything, anything like that, really, if you can capture all of those things together, I think that's kind of what I try to look for. Um, But yeah, I mean, but then again, I could get a portrait of someone with just a cheeky look. I got a picture of Egan on the team, um, team Skybus when he won, was it 2019, I believe the tour? Year after G, wasn't it? Was, it? Yeah. Um, so, yep. yeah, so he obviously took the yellow jersey only when he wore it on the last day because of the um, the shortened stage, I think it was. on That's right. The day before, was it? So he was only in the yellow jersey the day of um, Paris. So I got a picture of him on the team bus just kind of walking out from the back of the bus after being to collect some gels. And he just kind of looked at me and did a funny little smirk and stuff. So... I know the one that, you mean, actually. He, you're you're yeah. like a little bit lower than him, aren't you? So the perspective is, yes. is quite unusual, isn't it? Yeah. An- another one you mean. Yeah, I was kind of like trying mean. to walk down the bus without tripping over the seats and kind of edging back and looking up at him. And he just did like a, a funny little smirk, which which I really like because Egan's kind of normally pretty um, plain-faced. You don't really see a lot of emotion from him. He's like the the silent assassin, isn't he? He's kind of keeps everything keeps everything in check. And he was just a little bit of personality yeah. came out and he just did a... A wry little, a wry little smile, and it was kind of that was great for me as well. I really enjoy that those kind of pictures. So, yeah, I guess that doesn't and, and what, really answer your question too much. Because it, it, well, it, it isn't. There's no wrong and right, is there? I think for for no, you I could guess ask not. somebody who isn't a photographer what makes a great photo, and they would tell you what they like to see in a photo, and then you ask a photographer, yeah. you know, um, what makes a great photo, oh, and, well, and I'd just, imagine just, you can. It, yeah, well, just to elaborate Sorry, on that, what you just said then about, hmm. so just to go to what you just said there, so that is actually myself and a few colleagues have this, like I'll post a picture on Instagram that I love and I think it's a really great photo and it'll get no likes. Yeah. And then I posted a picture a few, about a month ago that was a throwaway picture for me. I didn't post it the first time around from the Giro last year of the Peloton rolling out hmm. at the start and all the riders were looking in through a pizza window. I'd gone in the bakery and all the pizzas were laid out 
and one of the Italian riders was riding past and he was looking in longingly at the pizzas. And I just posted that and it got like the highest number of likes I've had in a long time. And it was the kind of picture that I didn't really think much to, but it really resonated with yeah. non-photographers, I guess, and cyclists. So it's kind of, yeah. It's, it's interesting because I don't mean there's no accounting for taste or anything, but there are sometimes you just capture a moment um, that isn't planned. And quite often it's the spontaneity of the moment, isn't it, that, that kind of works. There's yeah. a, another lovely one that you took at the tour where I don't know whether you've it seems like you're inside, you've got inside a, a kind of old car and taken a photograph of the of the bunch, which are out of focus and blurred. Um, oh, and yeah, all, yeah. But, but, but the, the, the composition, basically, in, in the foreground um, is is a steering wheel and an old dashboard, and then the bunch are kind of secondary, really. And and, and they're yeah. framed within the, the windscreen of this little tiny car, and that's beautiful. Yeah, I like, I, that's kind of, I quite like doing those shots. I'm always on the lookout for, especially in France, I'm always on the lookout for an old 2CV or something parked next to the road. <laughs> it's always like yeah. the dream. But then there's a few photographers kind of look out for those as well. So it's kind of, we um, it's the first one there. And then you get there sometimes if someone's already in it and you're like, oh no, <laughs> I'm going to have to find something else. But yeah, I like to um, do something a bit different really. If you can hear, by the way, rain, don't know if you can, it's absolutely bouncing down. Um, oh really? It's the same for not. Yes, yeah. so if you can hear, can you hear it in the background? Not really. No, no. No, that's no, good. That's good. okay, mate. So I'm just wondering if anybody can. What's that noise? Uh, it's not my computer yeah. about to take off. It is rain outside, bouncing down. I tell you what, we're going to do. We're going to mix things. We're going to move back to photography in a minute. But um, yep. you were you were brought up in the north of England. Uh, you were born in Mansfield, weren't you, Russ? Yeah, so um, I was listening a few, well, it's probably a month or so ago now, to Carl's um, Carl's podcast as well. So I think he's from very close to where I was brought up. So, yeah. Born in indeed. Sutton, well, Sutton in Ashfield, and then Blidworth was the village. Mansfield was the town, or within Nottinghamshire, yeah. Well, because, because, of, that, um, because of that kind of link, mate, it, it's, now time. I'm gonna, it's now time for the Mansfield <laughs> quiz. <laughs> the Mansfield quiz. The Mansfield Quiz. Now it's time for the Mansfield Quiz. It's time for the Mansfield Quiz. Um, that was Niall's little take on uh, on the jingle for Mansfield. How are you? Um, <laughs> what's your knowledge base like on Mansfield? Oh, um, do you know? Russ? Do you know what? It's been a while. It's been a while it's since a while, I was in Mansfield. Yeah. I left. I kind of left Mansfield when I was twenty to come up to university in Leeds. So. It's been oh, like right, 24 okay. years, 24 years since I've, well, I go back to see the parents every now and again, but don't really do much, but we'll give it a go. We'll give it a go. <laughs> and and as you, I know you've listened to the podcast a few times, but it's multiple choice. So no stress, um, yeah. just relax uh, and you'll get, you'll get four, you know, four choices on each answer. And so we'll get straight on with it, mate. Question number one. In the 1980s, Russ, Mansfield Bitter was advertised um, with a photograph of a US president, okay, using the slogan, he might be president of the most powerful nation on earth, but he's never had a pint of Mansfield. Which US (laughs) president was it? Okay. Was it A, Ronald Reagan, B, Jimmy Carter, C, George H.W. Bush, so the elder, uh, or D, Gerald Ford? So Mansfield Bitter actually had there's a poster with this president's face with a with a with a pint of bitter next to them. Um, which was it? Was it Reagan, Carter, Bush, or Ford? Right. So 
my the reason I'm going for this is because the only person I can remember watching on TV in the 80s on Spitting Image was Reagan, so I'm going to go with Reagan. Hey. Correctamundo, mate. Well done. Look at that. Well, 100% so far, mate. That's a good and that's yeah. good logic. And um, he was pre- – I've not got it up on um, on Wikipedia anymore, but he was president – I think he, I don't know if it was – it was two terms, Reagan, wasn't it? I think he was a president for two terms. So you are correct. Mm. Um, and if you look online, if you're bored or sat on the toilet, mate, fire it up and there you'll see the, po- the you know um, Mansfield Bitter and President Reagan. I don't even know if he got they got permission, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, it could be an ongoing <laughs> I doubt um, it. I doubt it, yeah. It. Anyway – Question number two. So great start, mate. In fact, to use a cycling racing analogy, you're in the early move and you've got a three-minute gap. Yeah. Um, in the break. Okay. Question. You're in the break. In the break, mate. Uh, question number two. Mansfield Town Football Club, aka yep. the Yellows or the Stags, were formed way back in 1897. But what? Were they originally called? Okay, so Mansfield Town, a.k.a. the Yellows or the Stags, were formed back in 1897. But what, Ross, were they originally called? Was it A, Mansfield United, B, Mansfield Presbyterians, C, Mansfield Wesleyans, or D, the Mansfield Clippers? um, I don't know. B B or C sound familiar for some reason, but I'm going to go C, I think. It's correct. It's the Mansfield Wesleyans. <laughs> Flipping heck, he's on fire. He's got he's got a nine minute lead. He's, 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 you've now jumped away from the breakaway. A lot of people on you know, if I was commentating on this, if this was a bike race, I'd be going, yeah. Russ has gone a bit earlier, but he must be feeling good. This is a gamble. So you're away yeah. your own, mate. So great, great. Uh, yeah, it's they are they were called the Mansfield Wesleyans. Um, I made up oh. the rest. Um, right, go. question number three. So, yeah, great guessing there, mate. Um, intelligent guessing, in fact. So, okay, which famous writer once described Mansfield as this? Um, that once romantic, now utterly disheartening colliery town. So, which famous writer described <laughs> Mansfield as that once romantic, now utterly disheartening colliery town? Was it... A, Lord Byron, B, D.H. Lawrence, C, Jane Austen, or D, George Orwell? Um, what was A and B again? A was Byron, was it? Lord, Lord Byron, who actually lived uh, nearby. He, he was, um, he was, okay. he was born and raised. Uh, 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 no, not, but he was actually born and raised in, Huck, in Hucknall. He was born in Hucknall. Oh, in Hucknall. Lord my, Byron. My dad was yeah. born in Hucknall, I think, yeah. And Holly was raised uh, raised in, in Hockney, my wife as well. Uh, so was it Byron, D. H. Lawrence, Jane Austen, or George Orwell? Yeah, oh, I'm going to go nice B. Week. I'm going to go B, even though every, even though I should be saying A after all that. I think I'm going to go B. It's correct. It was D. H. Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, mate. This is incredible. You, mate, you are on a roll. Um, and for a bonus point, what famous D.H. Yeah. Lawrence novel was it from? Do you know? Oh, no idea, mate. No. It no. was Lady Chatterley's Lover. Uh, that was where the quote oh, came really? oh, okay. from. Yeah, apparently. Um, okay, I did read it years ago, but I don't, certainly don't remember the bit about <clears throat> Mansfield. Anyway, last question, uh, mate. And this could good, be... I'm only good uh, with multiple choice. Well, I mean, you've, you've, well, it's just been cracking. I, I, I can't fault you. You're still in the lead. And I think the bunch have completely mistimed this one, mate. It looks like you're not going to get caught. Yeah. But I, I think yeah. you might be the first person in a long time to get 100% if you get this next one right. But so think on, me. Here we go. 
Question four. <clears throat> How many Mansfields are there in the United States of America? Okay. What? So... So how many Mansfields in the USA? People or towns? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> uh, that's a really, really good point. It's towns. <laughs> okay, towns. Okay, because that would be a very different number, uh, I think. Yeah. It would be okay. a very different number. Uh, so how many Mansfields are there in the USA? A, one. B, two. C, three. D, four. Okay, well, I'm going to go with a classic... If you don't know the answer at school, go for C. So I'm going to go C. It's correct. It's three. <laughs> Brilliant stuff, mate. Oh, well, absolute. You are. You you could you could you change you could on Twitter and on Instagram you could change it to um, Mansfield Professor of Mansfield if you wanted to. Yeah, I might go on the chase. Um, I might go on the chase. On the chase, mate. Flipping it. Fearsome <laughs> quiz knowledge. Uh, and for a and finally for a bonus point yeah. for each. Can you guess yeah. the three states that Mansfield are in? Just get have a guess. Oh, three states. Um, this will be a good one. Um, Texas. Correct. Texas given. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> that was a <laughs> um, um, Ohio. Is Ohio one? Mate, I've not been funny with you. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> You've only got one more and you really? got it right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no Ohio, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know any more states. They're the only two that came to my head. Um, oh, I'm just going to go. Um, what is the, I don't know. This is going to make me sound really stupid now. Um, the state that New York's in. So is it actually is it greater New York or is it? I think it's New York, New isn't York? it? New York is New York, New York is yeah. in New York. Yeah, um, New York, New no, York. I just go New York. It's New York. Ma- no, okay. It, it's not, mate. It's Massachusetts, but mm. that, oh, I mean, Massachusetts. So, oh, okay. But so, but they were bonus questions. So basically, you have got four all all questions right. Two bonuses. You got six questions. Six out of four, which is about about one hundred and thirty percent or something like that. Anyway, so well done, mate. Is it? Well, we'll get the uh, our studio audience to give you a round of applause. <laughs> Slight delay there, but there we go. <laughs> Bloody hell, mate. That was um, that, that, that was, was a bit crazy. That was, yeah. Um, okay, back back to but back to photos then, mate. I mean, mm. when you're commissioned uh, to like when you go to the, to the Tour de France or when you go to the Giro, yeah. I mean, how much kind of freedom are you given by a client? Do you just basically take complete editorial control, or do certain clients? Because I know sometimes you you be on a race, you might be working for two clients at the same time. I mean, one example is yeah. is Sky, wasn't it back in the day? And also, you did stuff for Specialized yeah. pretty much at the same time, didn't you? So you were yeah, also really much, busy. Yeah. But do you have quite a lot of? Have you increasingly got more and more freedom over, over the kind of style of photo type of photos you want? They just say go and take us a lot of cool snaps. Yeah, pretty much. It's kind of it's a strange one, really. There's quite a few. We always have this discussion between the photographers, really. You kind of you kind of make your mark and you get noticed by just shooting for yourself. Like I mentioned earlier, you go along to a local race or a local crit, and you basically have got full creative reign. You do what you want to do. You take the pictures you think are interesting, and then obviously brands notice that and they really like like your work and they kind of book you for who you are. And then the first time yeah. you go to a job, they just send you a brief with everything they want, and you're like, okay, well. That's technically what any photographer could kind of do. So I think over time, uh, <clears throat> I kind of did that to start with, but then what I tried to do was speak to the people that are booking me and say, okay, 
I can do all of that, but I'll, I'll do some other stuff as well. And I'll kind of take, I'll put my take on that. Um, and I kind of did that for the first year. And then eventually it got to the point where they were kind of trusting what I was doing and I was giving them the things they were looking for. So now I don't really get a brief as such, like potentially at the tour, if, <clears throat> if specialized have got some new wheels out or they've got some new tires, or if, um, Sagan's in the purple Jersey and he's been given a purple bike, then they'll just mention, oh, he's, he's got a purple bike and I'll, I'll make sure I go and look out for that and things like that. But generally now I just kind of go and do do my own thing really with a very very rough brief i kind of i know from working with specialized and i know from working with ineos and sky for the last five years i know kind of what they use and what they like so i kind of i kind of instinctively know what what to get for them really now so yeah so the brief brief started at the start yeah yeah so so what about a typical day on the tour then um so could you take us through like a typical day on the tour de france and um, yeah in, in terms of yeah. how you would actually kind of execute the day, because you don't just rock up and random. I guess you do rock up and randomly see what's happening, and all, but there must be yeah. a degree of planning in relation to where you'd like to be positioned, especially on certain key climbs, etc. Or yeah. you know, um, yeah. so, so how would it, how would a day kind of start for you, Russ, on on the tour? Yeah. So, so what we tend to do, I mean, sometimes the different photographers do it different ways. Some photographers, like they'll a month out, they'll they'll kind of look on Google maps and they'll kind of work out where they want to go. And they'll, they will roughly plan out what they want to do on every stage. But we, I started to do that, but then what will happen is you can, you can see it on Google maps or you can get there the day before and recon something. But then you go the next day when the race is there and someone's put up an inflatable water bottle where you want to stand or someone's parked a motorhome where you were going to stand. And I kind of feel like, if you've gone there with the mindset of taking a picture there and then you get there and someone stopped you doing that and then you're like, Oh no, what do I do now? And you kind of have a little bit of a panic. So I tend to try and just drive the course and just when I see something, I see something, but to kind of rewind to the start of the day, what we tend to do is we'll, we'll kind of get up in the morning, go to the start, park in the press car park. And what we tend to do is kind of park um, in the parking event so we can leave just before the race. And what we tend to do for the Tour de France is I'll be in a car, not on a uh, moto. So if we're doing the Paris-Roubaix or the Classics, I'll actually be on the back of a moto. But for the Tour de France, we kind of just do it in cars, um, mainly for financial reasons, really. It's it's very expensive to have a moto driver and pay for his bike and pay for the hotel for him for every day of the tour. It gets very expensive very quickly. So we tend to just share cars with photographers at the tour because you can only normally get one to two stops a day in any way. So... You don't yeah. really need a moto as such. So we'll go to parking a van, get there about an hour and a half before the race starts. We tend to go down to the village, go into the village, get a free coffee, uh, and some free food from the little gourmet, the little gourmet stand. Um, and all the photographers yeah. kind of, yeah, the photographers will kind of all meet there, get some free food, get some free Haribo and a coffee, um, get the race plan out for the day. And we'll all kind of look at the map, work out where the race goes. And then the, the key thing really is working out the the artillery roads to get off the race and get back on because obviously once the race has passed you you can't then get back on the course and pass the race in your yeah. car you have to go off and then get ahead so we kind of have a rough idea how many stops we'll be able to get in on that day before we have to make it to the finish before the race um it tends to at the tour it tends to be one stop a day two stop a day three if you look it all depends if it's a kind of a transitional stage where it's literally a to b in a straight line um, it's really difficult to get ahead of the race. But if it's a, ra- a race that kind of meanders around a little bit, you can sometimes cut across and get there before the race. So yeah. we tend to work out what we're going to do, have a rough rough idea of what we're going to do anyway, and then 
we'll get some sign-on pictures of the riders coming, signing on, doing all that kind of stuff. Maybe hang around the buses, get some some bus pictures, and then we normally aim to leave fifteen minutes before rollout. So we'll okay. quickly get back to the get to the car, jump in the car, drive on the course, and then we literally drive the course to either somewhere we see that we think this is spectacular, we want to take a picture here, and then we'll work out how to get back ahead of the race. Yeah. Or yeah. if we don't see anything, there might be a point where we say, right, when we get to 50K, at 50K, there's a roundabout, the race goes left, we have to go right and get onto the motorway to then get back ahead of them to get to the finish. So you kind of know you have to find somewhere within that first 50K to take a picture. Yeah. So if it's within the first 20K, then you stop, you take the picture at 20k, then you jump on the back of the race behind the Finder course, and then you just follow the race to the roundabout. You hang a right, they hang a left, and then you you go to the finish. Um, or if you know you can get back on, you then go to the next exit, get back on the course, get ahead of them, um, take a picture, and then quickly get to the finish. Hopefully, get there before them. We tend to we tend to get to the finish line normally when the race has got 25, 30k to go. So you've got a good 45, 50 minutes to park up at the press room, which, you know, sometimes can be miles away from the finish line. Um, and then get away, get away down to the finish line, um, shoot the finish. And then after the finish, we shoot the podium and then normally go into the press room and then edit all the pictures for the day. So I've obviously got my morning pictures, my race pictures, my finish line pictures, podium pictures. Um, and then I edit them all in the press room for a few hours and then send them into various drop boxes for my various clients. Um, and yeah, we tend to finish, I don't know, really at the tour. We probably finish by 7, 8 p.m. in the press room and then right. drive to our next hotel, get to the hotel for maybe 9, 10 p.m. And yeah, 21 days of that, basically. And then do that all again. It's, I mean, that's the thing about any, any grand tour, isn't it? I mean, the, for everybody who's working on it, you know, you've got the your job to do, whether it's the riders <clears throat> riding from A to B, whether it's the kind of, yeah. you know, working in TV like I, like I have and, and then... Yeah. And then doing your job, it's it's a full on it's a full on job, isn't it? It really, really is. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's quite funny. I was talking to a few um, photographers before, and this will probably get me in trouble with the riders. But I genuinely feel that <laughs> I genuinely feel that the riders have got the easiest job at the tour. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> in terms of obviously, like not the the guys who are like slugging up the mountains going for gc and 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 maybe the people who are hanging out the back in the gruppetto every day but i think if you're if you're a solid rider and you go there fit and you're in a team that's maybe not riding as much and you you kind of just everything's done for you isn't it you kind of you get up the breakfast there everything's carried your hotel you get there you check in you get a nice massage and a sleep and i know it's obviously a bit tongue-in-cheek but it feels like yeah we're up and then we're like 10 10 o'clock we're working and then yeah and you've got to pack your own suitcase and then bring your suitcase down and then i'm editing pictures and then you're driving around and obviously it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek but i I genuinely feel like sometimes i wish i wish i was a rider riding the tour rather than doing what i'm doing (laughs) it's kind of i guess in many ways it's um it's kind of simpler isn't it is one way of putting it it's yeah uh, yeah you just yeah you've got one thing to do one thing yeah. yeah That's it. It's a, a, yeah. an oversimplification, yeah. but I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I do. I mean, yeah. oh, what about yeah. you know? I, I know you've you've obviously always d- doing the the job that you're doing now. Um, you've always worked with digital, but is there again? This is just from me being. I, I'm not obviously not a photographer. I like I like to take photos with my camera and with my phone and stuff. But is there a a danger of taking too many shots now. It, does that make your job because uh-huh. of the technology and the fact that you can just shoot away and shoot away? Whereas back in the day, you know, but I guess before your time when they were shooting on analog, like mm. people like Graham Watson, one of the most you know, mm. famous iconic 
cycling oh, yeah. photographers um yeah, yeah when they had a finite source of of um of data capture didn't they back then and, and it was, yeah, yeah, was yeah. filmed yeah. so you couldn't just shoot away you know and get them all developed obviously you looked at the negatives and chose the ones you wanted to do but is there almost now is, is it almost too easy to take multiple shots or or are you aware of that because you don't want to just fill up your kind of hard drive with loads of stuff so mm-hmm. are you how, how do you kind of tackle that side of it yeah um <clears throat> yeah I don't know really. I think I, t- I tend to, yeah. Well, my camera, so I shoot, I shoot with Sony's at the moment and the camera I've got shoots at 20 frames a second, which is ridiculous. If you hold, if you hold yeah. the shutter down for any prolonged number of um, seconds, it, you, you, like you say, you start taking a hell of a lot of pictures. So I tend mm. not to do that if I can help it, but you do at certain parts of the race, like the finish line or sometimes like the one where I was in the car, you mentioned earlier. So I'll go in the car and then I'll, I'll take the shot and I'll, I will do the 20 frames a second and I'll hold that down. And then, because the thing with cycling as well is <clears throat> I always like the rider to look good. Like I would never post a picture of a rider if the rider wasn't looking good in the picture. So, yes. and I always make sure the body position's right and the leg position's right. And it's surprising if you're only taking, if they come past you at 45 K an hour and you're only doing 10 frames a second, it's surprising if you then do 20 frames a second, you've got much better option to pick the perfect frame when the riders yeah. at the best angle and everything's looking great so i tend yeah. to i use it sparingly i mean i don't just go and spray and pray all the time but the technology is yeah. there so i think why not use it it's been developed to be used um yeah so yes yes there is the knock-on that sometimes when i get back to the to the press room and i've got like th- tech uh, typically three thousand images from the day and it's normally the time it takes to them put those, <laughs> yeah. raw, those raw files onto the hard drive so i'm i'm yeah. sat there tapping my fingers waiting for 45 minutes before i can edit them and then you've got clients like oh have you got the picture of the guy winning and i'm like oh yeah just another 40 minutes <laughs> so you have to be a little bit aware of it and sometimes i'll just go and I'll, I'll switch it onto single shot and i'll try and be more considered especially if you're on the bus or you're doing kind of things discreetly on the bus or you're doing people pictures or um, even if I'm doing a landscape kind of shot where they're on the mountain and they're kind of coming around, you've got all day and you can pick your shot and you, you only need a few frames. But I think it's just using the technology as and when to kind of yeah. benefit you really. So it's kind of, yeah, I just I just get on with it really and, and use it. When, when did you first, that's, that's really interesting, but when did you first start developing pictures? I'm, again, Again, I'm scrolling through your photos now. I think it's, it seems to me to be quite a recent thing where you basically drain all the color out and then you end up mm. with almost like a silhouette and just the shapes. So it almost ends up oh, like, yeah. L- yeah. like something far more abstract. And I find that quite interesting. You, you certainly weren't doing it in the yeah. early days, but okay, you don't do it all the time, but no. occasionally you'll just drain no, all no. of the color out. When I say color, I mean light. Yeah. So you, you're, you're left yeah. with like just black. white and just a suggestion, yeah, black and white and just a suggestion yeah. of, of an athlete on a bike. When did you yeah, start so think, doing that? And what inspired you to do that? Yeah, I don't know, really. I think the one on my Instagram that you might have seen then is the, um, there's one of, I'm going to get myself in trouble again here. I'm not sure which Yates, was it Adam Yates in, Adam Yates at the UAE tour where he's got his hands in the air and he's got his fingers in the air and it's just a silhouette of him with the sky. Right. I tend to, I tend to do it when when the picture's not yes. particularly interesting. <laughs> so if right, you get a okay. shot with a lot of background clutter or there's just something that's not great or there's someone stood behind in a high-vis vest and you just can't really, it's just like that's kind of spoiled the image. But I guess I guess it's just when I take a picture, I don't – I mean, some people try to get it perfect in the camera every time and then they, they won't crop. It's like, right, I'm going to get it right in the camera, take the picture, everything's perfect. Where 
I yeah. kind of go somewhere and I'll kind of have a rough idea of what kind of picture I want to create. And I think, yeah. right, if I can get something in the camera of this guy going past this area, I can do something with it after. So I'm always thinking yeah. of what I could do with it in post. So I kind of enjoy going into Lightroom and, and doing the post-processing probably more than actually taking the pictures. Like, like if I if I go out and I'm doing a race and I've, I know for a fact I've taken five or six pictures that I really like, I just can't wait to get back and then edit them. That's kind of the fun process for me. I kind of like to go in and mess around with color, mess around with shapes and shadows and silhouettes and just see if I can make that into something more abstract and more arty. And I guess I guess I did, it's just something I, I did really. I think it's probably when, you, when you're doing photography and you're doing cycling photography it's kind of the same the same thing for yeah. years you just need to change change it up a little bit really and i guess yeah it was just one of those I'm, things where you're in lightroom and you've got a blank palette of pictures and you're like well, what can i do to make this a bit more interesting and just have a play around really there's no right or wrong answer with it i guess yeah I, i'm just looking at um it's not the yates one but it's the one from uh, when ben o'connor um from NTT okay, yep. at the time yeah uh, yep, one yep, stage 17 shot. the Giro, and and all you've got uh is essentially most of the image i would say you know 75 percent of the image is white and in the, the bottom right hand corner you've just got ben o'connor uh like a top half of him completely in silhouette with the finger pointing up and it's a lovely simple it's a, it's a picture with a lot of space in it uh, but it's, it's really yes. lovely i just I'm, i mean but being interested very very recently as many people will know in, in art now i'm just in, uh, interested where mm. you kind of draw your inspiration from for, for taking photos about cycling do you are you interested in other forms of media or art or film and do you or is it or are you just focused on kind of what you do and, and, that, and that just develops on it by itself or do you have you or do you now draw inspiration from elsewhere yeah um I was listening again, going back to when you, you spoke to Carl, I was listening to that podcast a while ago. I remember him talking about a lot of the books he had on his shelf and stuff and who he, who inspired him artistically. And yeah, I was thinking about that because I, I don't, I should, but I don't really have any kind of famous photography books or anything. I've kind of okay. tried to just do my own thing really and not really be influenced by, obviously I get a little bit influenced by my peers and people doing cycling photography. I'll, I'll get back and I'll, I'll obviously go through Instagram and see people who've been on the tour and see what they've done. So I guess that kind of, influences me a little bit subconsciously but i don't kind of go back and look at any photography greats from the past i kind of just try and do my own thing i guess so i'm not sure not influenced but watching film i definitely since i started doing the photography now when i watch film and having worked with a couple of director of photographies when they've been filming while i've been taking pictures i do now if i watch a film i do appreciate um film and the the kind of the scenes and the way they shot and the way they filmed and the way they use depth of field and things in movies and stuff. So I am, I do enjoy that kind of stuff. And yeah, I definitely enjoy art and um, going to galleries and, and looking at things like that, but I don't really buy art books as such, but sure. definitely got an interest in going and looking at paintings and, and photography in, in museums and things like that. It definitely interests me. And yeah, I, I don't know why I don't really own any photography books really. It's a strange one, I guess. Most photographers probably yeah. would, but I don't. And, and and your your kind of love of or your appreciation of art kind of extends to your own body, doesn't it? Because you're you're a big fan of the tattoo as well, aren't you? You've got, uh, you've got a new <laughs> yeah, one since yeah. we have you got any new ones, mate? No. Since we went since, since we last met. No, no. Strangely though, I was talking to Liz on the way down here today, and I was well, we drove past somewhere that had a big picture of an octopus on it. I was like, oh, I might just get an octopus tattoo. I don't know why. I just um, we've been spending a lot of time in the ocean at the moment, so I felt like I should maybe get something from the ocean, and I quite like octopuses we watched the documentary the other day the octopus octopus teacher or something that was on Netflix yeah i've not seen it, it people have been uh, harping on about it is it is it good oh it's, it's unbelievable yeah it's unbelievable i didn't right. think i it was one of those where 
people were suggesting to watch it and I was like, yeah, yeah I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch it. And then I watched it and I was like, I should have watched this months ago. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. Fair so, so yeah, no new, no new tattoos at the moment, but in the near future, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a funny, sorry, mate, there's a funny noise going on in the background here. Uh, Random question oh. alert. Random question alert. Random question alert. It is time for a random question. Well, um, Ross, you've, you've just heard it. I thought we might get yep. one earlier on, but obviously the random question generator only generates questions randomly. I've got no influence <laughs> over it. Um, <laughs> and um, it went just then. Uh, maybe the octopus was a nice random cue. Um, maybe, yeah. So a, ran- a, randomly qu- a, 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 a randomly generated question I've got here that I've just torn off the computer in the corner of my uh, loft. Um, yep. And here it is, mate. It's very tangential. Um, right. Okay. Right, here we go. It's quite a long one, so bear with me. Um, okay, Ross, on an, av- on an average day, how many pigeons do you think you could reasonably carry? Um, so you're not allowed to buy any bags, boxes, or baskets. Um, also, they're fairly tame, and as long as you're not trying to hold them by a wingtip or a beak, they're pretty relaxed. <laughs> so how many pigeons without using bags or boxes um yeah. or or make or hurting them really ross because this is you know yeah, it's, again yeah. it's a family show which uh yeah. um yeah how many pigeons do you reckon you could carry it at any particular time so is this like total throughout the day from a to b or just in one go um it, it, on an average well no just you've got basically that there's you've gone to a so, pigeon sanctuary and, and i want to take them and, from and, one to one cage to the next cage. Yeah, and you've you've just got Throughout to load up with as many yeah as as many pigeons as you can you can in one you could just carry and physically walk like twenty feet. How many pigeons do you think you could could carry safely? I reckon realistically, if you kind of think about carrying three beers back from the bar, you could probably carry yeah. like three pigeons in one go away without hurting them or spilling them. Just so three. maybe th- three. Well, three at a time. <laughs> right. <think> okay. Three. <laughs> three at a time. Well. Okay, three at a time. I think I could carry, and then right. without hurting them. Yeah. And are we, are we talking, or just one one trip? Or we're we talking throughout the space of the day, like three at a time. If you think for the whole you, day? I mean, three maybe <laughs> three at a time for the whole day, back and two. But what about in one go? If you had to yeah, carry as many go. as you could, yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Um, four. I don't know. Maybe eight. Maybe eight. And where would you put them? Where would they be? Oh, I'd kind of like just hug them, I think. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to just hu- hug them, like kind of, yeah, bear hug them, but not too tightly. So you'd almost have to get like your arms like folded, like making like a kind of cradle with your arms and then get somebody to yeah, put yeah. the pigeons in there and yeah, you reckon yeah, you could get eight. I yeah. Eight. I suppose, quite I reckon pigeons, just, pigeons are quite big. I was... um. I got another beautiful segue into my racing career. You can tell I'm trying to shoehorn um, my old um, my old racing um, <laughs> performances. In. But I was I was hit. I think I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast. I was hit by a pigeon in the in the the Prue Tour back in 1998. Oh, really? Yeah, I was, I was in Newcastle. Um, I was in a breakaway. or I think I was like second or third group on the road on this finishing circuit in Newcastle. I was chasing Chris Boardman, who was just about ten seconds in front, on this descent, and. Um, I was in like the super tuck, but the old fashioned super tuck. I wasn't like on the top tube. We didn't kind of think yeah, about yeah. doing it back then. We were just sat on the saddle, yeah, but like tucked. And this pigeon kind of swooped towards me. And I thought, 
I'm going to hit that. It's like, oh my God, this all happened in a split second. So I ducked, put my head down so the top of my helmet was facing forward and I hit the pigeon, bosh, full on. And it exploded. Uh, I'm going to say exploded. I mean, it stayed intact, but I think I I sadly, I think I did, it it died. But it was in feathers everywhere. And and I I had for the following stage, I had to wear a neck brace. Um, oh really? Oh, a proper Whip, whiplash. whiplash! Yeah, whiplash from the whiplash. pigeon. <laughs> I couldn't move my neck in the morning. Um, but there you that go. Must be quite um, heavy, though. It must be quite heavy. It's got to be that one. Must have been a good kilo because a lot of pigeons are they yeah. they're well fed. They always seem well fed, don't they? Yeah, really. Yeah. Well, they always seem like they've always got they're always eating um, or cooing. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> pecking at stuff. But anyway, yeah. yeah, so that was my pigeon story, but no, so you reckon eight, I think it's a reasonable amount. I reckon, I I reckon that's about right, but you could probably have one in your head as well. I was thinking one on my four, head, maybe one on each yeah, shoulder, like one, a pirate or something. So that's three. I reckon you could get as much as 10, um, in that case. <laughs> anyway, I think we've I'm gone on to uh, long enough. Yeah. I think we've gone on enough about pigeons, mate. And let's <laughs> briefly bring it back to photography before we wrap up this right. rambling pod. Octopuses, exploding pigeons, and pigeon <laughs> hugging. Um, what, what is your when you look back over your uh, thousands of photos you've taken? I'm scrolling through. There's yeah. some absolute perlers, and, and again, um, this is this pod's all about you, mate. So if you are if you're listening to this, head to Cycling Images on Instagram and have a look at some of Russ's pictures. They are really wonderful, capturing some beautiful moments of the sport we all love. But is are the, is there one photo, Russ, from the last few years since you've been doing this professionally that that you are really proud of? That you think, yeah, that's captured a moment, and that's something that I kind of really want to continue to aspire to do. Um, do you know? It's a tough one, isn't it? I can never think. Yeah, I can never think of one. I've actually posted one, <clears throat> reposted it on my Instagram, um, which is if you're on there now, it's a few bits down. I am it's on there now. The, yeah, um, it's um, it's the polka dot um, finish um, with Bardet. I think it's Bardet. I'm going to get myself. No, it's not. It's um, not Bardet. It's, it's tell me his name and I'll tell you his name. Um, mm. In the polka dot jersey with his hands in the air, it's about forty pictures down, probably. Oh, uh, is it? Oh, the, the French lad. Yes. Oh, the, yes. His name. Yep. I've got it. It is. Um, Remind me of his name. Warren Bargy, isn't it? Warren War- Warren Bargy. Yes. Warren Bargy. Has he gone? Is he pro Conti now? Uh, he's with Arkea Samzik. He's an Arkea. Oh, he's with Arkea now. now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and he was yeah, with. That, it was, it was the year I when really he won like the polka dots. Yeah. It's it's beautiful, isn't yes. it? Um, that's up that runway, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Did, yeah, I think so. Um, do you know what? This is, is this is one photo. thing that I don't do very well as a photographer. Like, a lot of my peers will know every stage, they'll know every mountain, they'll know the name of every rider, whereas I don't really. I don't know why. I should probably. I just kind of go along and take pictures, and if I like the picture, I like the picture, and if I don't like the picture, I don't like the picture. I never really pay a great deal of attention to where I am, and I guess that's just something that happens at the tour anyway like in italy i don't really yeah. even know where i'm if anyone asked me on any particular day whereabouts i was in italy and put a pin in the map i wouldn't be able to tell them um yeah i just kind of follow the road book around and have no clue where i am for most of it um, I'm, i know it's awful but i'm a little bit like that i can remember some places um but like you hmm. say uh because they all kind of blur into one and i've focused on doing a job talking about the race and then we have to get ourselves yep. to the next finish and so I only retain the information that I kind of need, and that's the knowledge of the race. Yeah. Uh, then I just put yeah. that in my trash folder, start a cl- start yeah. a clean hard drive in my mind, 
yeah, uh, yeah. and then move on. So it, it seems yeah. kind of lazy, but it's the way I only, I can only retain a certain amount of information. And, um, but that is a lovely, yeah. it's a lovely photo. It's 2017 tour. He won two stages in the, and he's just basically just yeah. emerging over the hill. Um, both yeah. arms aloft with the beautiful, brutal mountain peaks in the background to the right. You've got a couple of flags and actually one of the flags is the Breton flag. And, he is from Brittany, so there's a lovely little kind of touch to, yep. uh, or nod to where he's from there as well. But it's a beautiful, a beautiful picture, mate. Um, yeah, I quite um, like that one. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think before we kind sorry, of just, before, yeah, sorry, carry on, on, mate. No, carry no I was going to say there was one. There was one from um, the World Championships last year with Alaphilippe as well, um, which is I'm not sure how far down that is. So I basically decided to shoot the picture from um, behind. So there's a picture of all of the photographers kind of taking a picture from the front and Alaphilippe kind of looking behind him. So I've kind of got a shot of him looking back. So that's kind of another thing um, that I tried to do. And I'm, I really like that picture as well. Um, I do know the one you mean. I can't find it right now, but I do know the one you mean. He's yeah. just kind of crossed the line, hasn't he? Um, yeah, he's literally just crossed the line looking behind and then all the other photographers are kind of in the normal spot where they would be with all the lenses on him. And he's kind of looking around, smiling, and I've got a picture of him kind of looking back towards me. So I quite like that shot as well. Fair enough, mate. It, before we wrap things up, it's been a really interesting chat, mate. It really, I've really enjoyed speaking to you because it's a, it's a world I'm kind of fascinated with, and I, I kind of, I do like to take photos myself, but not anywhere near the quality of yours. But what would, um, what would your advice be to a simple budding photographer, whether it's on their phone or they've got a proper camera? What would, um, if you were to dispense one piece of advice, um, what would it be to somebody who wants to take as nice a photo as possible? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I try people. People ask me this. I try not to give them any kind of technical answer. I kind of just say, get the yeah. camera, go to a race, and basically just walk around the race and just take pictures of anything that you think is interesting. Simple as mm. that, really. Like, yeah. if you think it's interesting, then it probably is interesting to some people. It might not be interesting to others, but if it's interesting to you, there's a likelihood that it'll be interesting to other people. Um, and yeah. Just don't get bogged down with trying to do things that other people do. Just take the camera, go along, and if you see something you think is interesting, just take a picture of it and go from there, really. Super simple. That, that is a very, very nice uh, piece. Of I found that picture, by the way, uh, of Alaphilippe oh, yeah. looking around. <laughs> yeah, you, you've clearly positioned yourself somewhere. Were you in front of the line then? You must have been in front of the line to, to <laughs> take in that. Or did you have different accreditation? Because it's a really unusual shot. So just to explain it, Alaphilippe's looking round. He's just won. He's got a big grin on his face, as you would, just winning the Worlds. Uh, and you've got yeah. that big bank of photographers on the left-hand side with like 12, 15 photographers uh, who take up most of the picture, all yeah. pointing towards Alaphilippe, who's basically looking at you. It's a really, there's yeah. so much going on. But <laughs> And then just a hint as yeah. well on the right-hand side of the rainbow stripes as well. Yeah, um, yeah they were, they were so that, the... Um the little icing on the cake when I saw those in there as well. <laughs> no, it, it's um, lovely, isn't it? And, yeah, and- so I was stood I was stood at about 50, 50 to 100 metres to go on the outside of the course, kind of leaning over the barrier. Um, obviously, right. it wasn't a bunch sprint, so I could lean lean over the barrier because he'd already gone past and there was no one else in sight, really. Um, so, yeah, I was about, I think it was about 75 metres to go, kind of leaning over into the course and shot with a long lens. So, obviously, I got him as he went over the line, um, looking back. Wonderful stuff, mate. Well, looking back, I mean, that's what we've been doing, mate. It's been wonderful um, chatting yeah. to you, Russ. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Learned a lot. Um, and, yeah, 
where people can find you on cycling images. Um, if they want to head to your surfing one, where can they find that? Is that, was that a bit more personal, that one? It's, it's good. <laughs> no, not really. Like it's, it. it's got this. Nope. It's okay. It's like 400, 424 followers, so it's, it's flying. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just surfing images WA. So um, surfing images wasn't available. Like cycling images would have been good and surfing images, but someone already had that. So I had to go surfing Fair images enough, WA. Man. It's literally just where I put, um, yeah, anything that I get out here in Oz, really. Um, I tried to keep the cycling images one just for cycling. I've tried to put various things on there before that aren't cycling, but people kind of vote with the with the no like buttons and nothing gets liked if it's not cycling. So it's interesting. I try and keep my cycling cycling account fully cycling, and that's it, really. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough, mate. Well, Russ, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Um, hopefully, yeah. our paths will cross in the not too distant future. Um, when um, so. all the borders open up again properly, when it's safe to do so. Um, I think things are look, certainly looking up, aren't they? But it might be a little while, but hopefully yeah. maybe by the end of the year or yeah. early 2022. Our well, 20, again, 2022, Matt, um, tour down under, yeah. mate. That's what you need to be getting yourself on. And well, I shall, uh, I shall try something. Maybe <laughs> maybe, um, maybe with uh, Sigma Sports, you know, I mean, uh, just a suggestion to uh, Mr. Kogan, who yeah. was, uh, makes all those kinds yeah. of decisions. Let, let's go over and do a cafe yeah. ride in, in Australia. Uh, budgets permit. Cafe ride in anyway. Australia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely sounds, sounds, sounds good mate. to me. Yeah. All right, then, Russell, you take Bye. care, mate. And uh, thanks you again too, for being so generous with your time, mate. Cheers. No problem. Thank you for having me on, Matt. It's been great. Thanks, mate. Fantastic stuff. I do hope you found that as captivating as I did, apart from the bit about the spiders. I really do wish him all the best and hope the world is in a better place soon, allowing restrictions to ease so Russ can get back to doing what he loves. And that is photographating. Photographating? (laughs) Photographating? What on earth is that? We'll keep this in. Uh, Photographating um, the races in Europe. And I really do urge you to check out his work on his Cycling Images Instagram account as well, or on his website at cyclingimages.co.uk. Photographating. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the pod. And why not recommend it to a professional rider staring through the window of a pizzeria as the Giro Peloton whizzes past, if you see one. Finally, a massive thanks again to Russ for joining us on the podcast today. I hope he enjoys his time surfing and all the wonders Western Australia has to offer, but maybe not the spiders. Cheers all, stay safe, and goodbye.